You're listening to the Plain Label Podcast. Hello and welcome back to the Plain Label Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Williams, and in this episode, we begin a seasonal theme, which is something that we don't typically do, but I've been convinced, and here we are with the NCAA Basketball Tournament, aka March Madness, and so for the next few episodes, we'll be discussing some films about basketball. For this first episode, we are taking a look at White Man Can't Jump and He Got Game. Joining me for this theme is a man who knows it is hard goddamn work making him look so bad. It is Mr. Andrew Shaw. <laughs> Thank you very much. I'd start with a mama joke, but I don't really want to push it too far. Yeah, that's right. Before getting into our discussion, I would like to mention that we are proud members of the Deliberate Noise Network. Search Deliberate Noise in your podcast app for more great shows from the network. Mr. Shaw, you had said that you have a special related drink for this evening. It is coffee. Everyone should know that. What type of <laughs> coffee are you having? Well, I thought it would be appropriate to drink uh, a coffee uh, from a company, the same company that does Ghetto Blaster, but this is the uh, Sweet Georgia Brown, which, if you're a basketball fan, you should know that as the Harlem Globetrotters theme song. Uh-huh. I could whistle it, but I would uh, embarrass myself. So <laughs> I am, I'm having uh, some vodka and some sparkling water like normal. This, however, is a very masculine uh, flavor of sparkling water. It is from the uh, jelly bean company Jelly Belly. It is very cherry. And oh, wow. uh, so I'm mixing that very cherry sparkling water with some vodka. And I feel like a grown boy. I feel like a big boy. <laughs> so... And, I, and I'm sure uh, on the course with uh, Sydney and the like, I would get no static for that, right? Not at all. <clears throat> That's right. All right. So our uh, first film that we're going to be talking about, it is from 1992. It is the Ron Shelton written and directed film, White Men Can't Jump. Yeah! Oh, it is hard work being this good. <laughs> oh, oh, it hurts. It's not about black. I don't mean to brag, but I'm the greatest. That's because you never saw me. It's not about white. Honey, I'm home. How much money did you make today? I missed you too. I'm sorry, honey. It's about green. I want to find out how good you are, chump. Come on! I'm your white shadow. I have a business proposal for you, as if you don't mind hustling. What kind of hustle? $500, baby, and you can pick my teammate. Give him the chump. You mean play basketball? Hey, pretty man, I got something for you. Shut your anorexic, malnutrition, tapeworm having, overdose, Dick Gregory, Bahamian diet drinking ass up. Give me my money. I'll see you hustle. Hey, I never use those goofy white mother. Hey, who you calling goofy white mother? You, you. Yeah, yeah. 500 divided by two. Woo! How much do you love me? I love you, Infinity. Oh, Billy, you're so stupid. You should have said I love you, Infinity, plus Infinity. We shoot you, Billy, but first we want the money. There are rules to hustling. There's an ethics involved. Yeah, that you wouldn't know a damn thing about. <laughs> Will you explain to this Gladys Knight the pips? It's pips! The pips! Winning and losing is all one big organic lobby. I 
hate it when you talk like that. Oh, you got that big Z in your fro, man. What are you, the Black Zorro? What are you doing? I'm doing two things. What? I'm making them mad. Most guys don't play good when they're mad. Look, you know you're embarrassing me. That's what you're doing. Yeah, well, that's the other thing I'm doing. I only have four words for you. White men can jump. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the IMDb plot synopsis for this one is short and sweet, and it goes like this. Billy and Sydney think that they're the best basketball hustlers in town, so that so when they join forces, nothing can stop them except each other. To add to their problems, Billy owes money and is being chased by a pair of gangster types. <laughs> that was kind of an odd way to end that one. Uh, <laughs> so tell me, this is actually my selection uh, for this. Or no, 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 no. Is this my selection? Or did I pick He Got Game? I forget. I think you picked He Got Game. Oh, okay. So this is your pick. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. So tell me about uh, tell me about your history with uh, White Man Can Jump. So I grew up, even though as a, a, a white boy in uh, Melbourne, Australia, um, basketball was my obsession. I still love basketball and I still play, but back then when this movie came out and for the years following, I would play or train every day of the week. Mm. And so to go along with that, you know, I listened to hip hop. I wore basketball jerseys all the time and any movie that came out that was related to basketball, I went and saw. Um, I also wanted to do blue chips, but I can't find blue chips anywhere. I don't think it's ever been released on DVD. I don't think it's ever come out again. You know, I saw that. Uh, why? I don't know why, but I saw that not that long ago, actually. Blue I saw chips. blue chips twice at the movies. Really? Yeah. <laughs> I think that is a mistake, Mr. Shaw. Yeah. Well, <laughs> um, but White Men Can't Jump was the... It was, you know, I begged my mum to hire it at the video store, mm. and eventually she got around to it. Um, I think she kind of liked Woody Harrelson from Cheers, and um, it was there was just something that blew my mind about this movie. It was it wasn't a based on NBA players. It was a bunch mm. of guys just at the playgrounds, um, and it became the thing that my friends and I. Uh, quoted and it was, it started trash talk. This oh, movie absolutely. brought me trash talk. You know, there, there is so much like I still play now and I still talk, but I have a bit more fun and I don't actually give shit to people. It's more, I give shit to myself when I'm playing, but, <laughs> but this was, and then you hear stories about how good a trash talker Michael Jordan was and some mm-hmm. people like that. And I just thought, my God, this is just mind blowing. And so if you hadn't seen white men can't jump and someone, you know, made a mama joke, you might be a bit more offended, but if you'd seen it, you'd be like, yes, let's go. Let's bring it on. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. That is funny. So this was, uh, like I'd mentioned at the beginning, this was a Ron Shelton written and directed film. And I knew Ron Shelton, first of all, from Bull Durham. And unlike you, I was a big baseball person growing up. Mm-hmm. And so every day I would, I had my little routine to where I'd get home from school and I would, uh, you know, do my homework or whatever. And then I'd eat. And then after that, the Atlanta Braves would be on TV. And there were one of the two teams that were on TV due to WTBS at the time. And, and Ted Turner, you know, and all of the, you know, the, and the, they were terrible in the eighties. So it was fun for me to watch. And we would go to some of the games, even though that's quite a long ways away from Nebraska. And so we would go and, they were terrible, but it was kind of like the lovable losers sort of a deal. 
and mm-hmm. I, you know, played a lot. I played uh, traveling baseball for four or five years, and then I kind of got burned out and gave it up and started uh, golfing. And so I was I was into Bull Durham when it came out because I thought that that was interesting that it was a uh, a story of sort of minor league baseball, and then. I see that they're coming out with White Man Can't Jump, and I'm like, oh, okay, this has got uh, Wesley Snipes, and it's got uh, Woody Harrelson. And I knew Woody Harrelson a little bit from from Cheers, because we would watch, you know, my mother and I watched uh, watched a lot of movies and TV shows together. Mm-hmm. And so I knew uh, it from that, and then when I knew him from Wildcats as well, the uh, Goldie oh, Hawn yes. football comedy. Yep. Uh, and so I knew, and I was like, okay, I sort of know this guy. But I believe, let's see, when did, uh, and Major League had just come out? Major League is 1988-9, okay. And so I mm-hmm. knew him from that as well. And so yeah. I was like, oh, it's Willie Mays Hayes. Okay, perfect. And, uh, <laughs> and so I was like, oh, it's but, him doing. Run like Mays, run like Hayes. <laughs> yeah, you may run like Mays, but you hit like shit. Um, and so I like that, uh, <laughs> I like that it's Wesley Snipes in him, playing a role where he gets to be outlandish and fun. Mm-hmm. And so I had seen this uh, not too long after it had, it had come out, and I must have got it on uh, VHS or whatever. And it had always been a movie that I had seen a lot, but I had never owned uh, until uh, until getting it for this uh, for this recording. And so I kind of, like, I remembered Gloria, and I remember the whole uh, Rosie Perez and uh, the commenting on her accent. And I remember Billy, that. You're so stupid. <laughs> That's right. And I remember that being a big thing in middle school and high school for me. Yep. Um, and to where, you know, that's, that was one of the deals along with all the your mom jokes and all this sort of stuff. And, <laughs> and so what I really liked about watching it this time around was it held up much better than I expected it, it was going to. Like mm-hmm. I had a lot more fun than I had anticipated because I figured, okay, it's going to be, uh, late 80s, early 90s sort of humor, and I'm not sure if I'm still going to laugh at the same sort of things. And we'll sort of see, uh, you know, now that I'm older, we'll see how the actors playing basketball will uh, will actually work. But I, I thought it was a shot in a way that it looks really realistic, like when they're when they're actually shooting like jump shots, when they're not just doing you know, slow motion passes and such, you mm-hmm. know? And, and so I was like, okay, I can believe that the, this is going in. I definitely, uh, the one time that I played basketball, which I was, which I've always been terrible at always. It's like the one sport that I could never do. And yeah. when I, I remember, um, when, uh, Billy here, when Woody Harrelson's character, he's, he's shooting from basically just straight away. And, uh, He's he's doing this weird kind of like push jump shot like his like his jump shots were like with both hands which is odd mm. and it's especially it as well like yeah it's, it's like behind it he's like just shoveling it up there yeah it's and a really it's, strange place. yeah and especially after watching uh, he got game and and seeing Ray Allen in there oh and <laughs> you've got Ray Allen is one of the most purest shooters to ever play basketball too yeah and so then I see Woody Harrelson and I'm like this looks like the way that I was shooting like it would be like a <laughs> like a chest throw because I was you know just such a little guy in uh, middle school and so I was like this doesn't look this this one part doesn't look the best but other than that I thought that. Uh, 
I mean, man, Wesley Snipes, I was like, I forget how incredibly fun he could be. Yeah. Because ever since Blade came out, it was like, oh, he's ultra serious in everything that you saw him in. Yep. And so that was, I mean, I, I really enjoy, I have a lot of time for Blade, but I, I kind of miss even, even like uh, Passenger 57, like I kind of miss this Wesley Snipes. You miss the action, Wesley Snipes, the, the having fun, the guy who's not doing movies because he needs to pay his tax. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Or even in something like New Jack City, I think that he's really good in that as well. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I really enjoyed that. Um, some of the lines that I, that I still um, hear is when I go on golf trips with one of my, uh, with one of my buddies that um, lives in Chicago, he will hit a good shot or whatever when we're golfing and he'll, he'll start doing the, we go and sizzler yeah. <laughs> and he'll start saying that kind of stuff. <laughs> and I'm like, Jesus, you know, because it's uh it's not much of a competition when we play. And mm-hmm. so he'll hit, you know, he'll do one good thing and it's just sort of like the, that character. Uh, and I forget his name, but it's sort of like him compared to, um, uh, compared to junior. junior. Thank you. Yeah. It's yeah, Kadeem so. Martin, who I met when I was in LA in 2000. We went. This is basketball related because we were on a basketball trip. We came over and played in the states for three weeks, mm. and um, we went and saw the LA Clippers play the Orlando Magic when both of those teams were disgustingly bad. <laughs> and um, it was Grant Hill's first game back from an ankle injury, and he shot the laziest 30 points I've ever seen. I was going to say which well, which uh, ankle injury. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> but we were leaving the um, Staples Center, and um, we got to shake hands with Kadeem Hardison. Oh. And I was like, I went, holy crap, Like people are going, oh, I know that face. I'm like, that's Junior from White Man Can't Jump. Huh. That that's was a- like, you know, people know him from all the other things. I'm like, no way, that's, that's Junior. Yeah, that's, that's, that's the way to know him right there is through Junior. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, they weren't saying it's Dwayne Wayne. <laughs> they weren't saying that from yeah. a different world. <laughs> well, as a bunch of, uh, you know, aged 15 to 18 year old Australian guys, we didn't really know him from anything else. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that makes sense. That makes sense. Well, what do you think? Uh, I already mentioned her, but what do you think of uh, Rosie Perez in this? I think the first couple of times I watched it, I found her very grating. Mm-hmm. Um, I think she grows on you. Once you've seen the movie, like, I've seen the movie, I couldn't count how many times because um, it was the. Also, you know, being a teenager back then or, you know, early teens, it was uh, a sleepover movie. Once we mm. all became obsessed with basketball, you you know, I think we, I watched it. I reckon I would have watched it 20 times by now. Uh. Um, but like when we were talking about doing it, I didn't even need to rewatch it to remember <laughs> it all. <laughs> um, some of the stuff she says, though, like, I know it's – I can't tell if they're supposed to be, you know, philosophical or just she's just supposed to be everyone sitting there laughing at what she says. Mm-hmm. You know, like, the, you know – the, when I say I'm thirsty, I want. Oh right, right, right. <laughs> I want you to. I don't want yeah. you to give me a glass of water. I want you to say I too have known what it's like to have thirst. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus Christ, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like uh, I mean that it's it's funny because as a quote unquote normal person that seems like an odd line, but Billy is so oblivious to anyone other than him. Mm-hmm. It's it's a nice thing for that character to hear, I feel like. Yes. Because yep. he this is one of those movies that does that that self-destructive nature that I think Ron Shelton specifically is really good at. And so 
because uh you know i was a golf pro for a while and i'm now i'm kind of working in the golf industry again white man can't <laughs> white man can't jump um tin cup with kevin costner mm-hmm. is another example of him writing a self-destructive character Yes. And, and so in that, it's like, oh my God, you know, that I can see, because that came out while I was in high school, while I was, uh, playing state golf and all this kind of stuff. And so I could see the tendencies of people that I either golfed with or, or was around, or I could see some of that in myself to where it's like, instead of just proving that you could do something, just, you know, uh, not always trying to be the hero. And it's an yep. odd thing for, Woody Harrelson's character to have because in here, Billy talks a lot about, and he says it a couple of times about how he feels that Sydney would rather lose and look good than win and look bad. Yep. Yep. But then he also has this stubborn streak to where he is going to prove himself to other people. And so it's a yeah. little bit of a contradiction, which I think is an interesting character. The, um, the scene where, where they've won the tournament and he's trying to show Sydney that he can dunk. Yeah. And he just keeps missing and missing and missing. I equate it to, um, if you've ever seen Swingers, when oh, yeah. Mikey comes home and rings that woman. Yes. Oh, God, he, that is terrible. He just, <laughs> it's that scene where you just go, I'm like, please stop. Like, you want to just throttle him. You want to just jump through the TV. And, <laughs> like, it, oh, it's, you know, you can't dunk. We know you can't dunk right now. Please stop. Mm-hmm. You know, put the phone down. It's It's the equivalent of that. And, you know, it's just people who just can't help themselves. Well, and one of the other things that I wrote down here that I wanted to make sure and mention is that it is, it's such a sort of glimpse of what being masculine in the early nineties was all about because it, it felt to me like it was uh, an exact representation to where these guys, they're, they're playing basketball. They're, uh, trying to make sure that they impress around their friends. Their goal is to either, uh, meet or keep their women happy and mm-hmm. and then they can never ever back down from anything ever yes. right like that is the ultimate like you you said something and so you can't negotiate your way out you can't back down but then at the same time your word really doesn't mean a whole lot because you can get double crossed or hustled as they say as they call it, it. You, get, you get smoked. That's right. You can get double crossed at any at any moment, and so it is a weird. Um, it is it is kind of a macho movie, and I think that it works for exactly what it is. But it is interesting to me to where there's no sort of negotiation, and uh, the women are kind of very much secondary in the story, but are very much not, uh, they don't have a whole lot of license. They don't have a whole lot of uh, decisions that they make on their own. They kind of have like their one role to where, you know, Rosie Perez, she's reading the almanac because she thinks she's going to get called by jeopardy, which I thought was such a weird thing to, to look at now and be like, (laughs) wait a minute. Like, I don't think that's how it works to where you just get called randomly. (laughs) <laughs> like, I don't think that they're just looking through a phone book and calling people. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and so I thought that that was kind of a kind of a strange thing. But uh, and then you know, obviously, uh, uh, Wesley Snipes' character is is kind of the nurturer, the the wife, the um, you shouldn't you know don't do this if it's going to cost you uh, our rent kind of a kind of a character. So I just yes, kind of exactly. thought that that was an interesting thing. But yeah, and it's a good like it's a, a snapshot of you know the the people who are 
trying to live beyond their means in a way as well, but all they want to do is play basketball. And, you know, they don't, they don't want to have a job. They want to play street ball and make money that way. And, you know, as it's not a sustainable thing, you know, as you said, you can get double crossed, you know, people get shot, all sorts of stuff. And, you know, there's that scene where, uh, Raymond, the big guy, works out he's been hustled. <laughs> yes. He runs off to rob, you know, he wants money to, to, to rob him. So he goes and tries to rob, I think it's like, I can't tell if it's his dad or his uncle's store or yeah. something. You know, Raymond! <laughs> Goes, and then he comes back and he works out he's been hustled again. And just that the, one of the lines that always sticks with me is him going, I'm going to go to my car, get my other gun, shoot everybody's ass. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Because he sits there and he, he uh, you hear him talking normally and then he, he's he got his little stocking and his gun all together yeah. in his glove compartment. And then he goes up to the guy and he just goes, give me your money. And he yeah. has this really fake deep voice. And then, yeah, Raymond, what are you doing? Yeah, <laughs> that is good. Yeah, I do like that. Uh, the um, the macho, like when you talk about the the macho of it all, like that was being a you know by the time it came out on VHS, it would have been close to ninety four over here, ninety four, ninety five. Mm-hmm. Sure. And um, so it's that perfect. You're thirteen years old. I was thirteen years old, watching a basketball movie with your friends, and it's the the macho guys playing. And that's who you want to be in a way. Like everyone looked yeah. up to Michael Jordan at that point, but it was also, if you can, you know, Jordan also trash talks. Oh yeah. So, but this is more achievable than being a street ball guy who can play, who can talk as well. And, you know, you, you know, some of the trash talking is unbelievable. And, you know, it's just as a, you know, as a teenager, you're just like, holy crap, this is the greatest movie I've ever seen. <laughs> well, and what's, what's something I guess that, uh, that people may forget about is, in the early 90s. So we had, like I mentioned, we had a Major League come out in 1989. Mm-hmm. And then we have New Jack City in 91. And then we have Passenger 57 and this in 1992, followed by Demolition Man in 1993. And then Money Train, which just reteams these two in 1995. So mm-hmm. Wesley Snipes is everywhere. He's on a roll. In these like few they're, years. All, they're all, you know, not. Per, you know, fantastic movies, but they're all good, solid movies. You know, they're yeah. good. Turn your brain off and watch some fun stuff movies. Mm-hmm. And then eventually he makes Blade in 1998. And in there also in 98 is U.S. Marshals to where they yep. finally make that uh, sequel to The Fugitive. Murder at 1600 is 97. The Fan, which I think is a lot of fun, is 1996. That's the De Niro one, isn't it? Yeah, that's the De Niro yeah. obsessive fan uh, baseball movie. I do remember uh, liking that. It's one of those where it's directed by Tony Scott, and it's one of those things where I don't think anyone ever talks about that movie. No, I haven't if, seen that in years. If you look at the Metacritic score, it is a 32 out of, <laughs> out of 100. So I maybe it that's, better than that. Yeah, that's what I thought, too. So maybe it's not... Uh, maybe it's not worth the look, but... Uh, oh, and I also... <laughs> I forgot to mention uh, Jungle Fever. He's also oh, yes. in uh, Jungle Fever in Spike Lee's movie. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so he's got a lot of like early night, early to mid nineties. I mean, he was one of the guys, and it's just kind of easy to forget about that now. Yeah. Uh, one of the other things that I wanted to mention about this is that uh, there was a couple of things that were strange. So first of all, Billy loses that seventeen hundred dollar bet when he's uh, hustled by Sydney, right? Yep. And it's seventeen hundred dollars, but I'm like, wait a minute. So Billy lost. All of the seventeen hundred dollars it says. So why the hell would he have gone for that? Like the bet is seventeen hundred and all of it's Billy's money. 
Yeah. And so I was like, wait, I'm glad we didn't see that negotiation scene because that would have been such a, a tip off that he's hustling him. But I was like, why in the world would you ever do that? Hey, Andrew, I got a deal. Uh, it's going to cost us $2,000. You front the 2000 and we'll, you know, we'll win it and then we'll split it. It's like, well, that doesn't make sure. sense. Yeah, sure. No worries at all. That's yeah, really. fine. Yeah. yeah. One of the other things that I wrote down here is, um, it, it was kind of a uh, it was kind of interesting to me that this was a almost a western sort of structure to where you have mm-hmm. the the stranger comes into town and he doesn't know anything or anyone and he, and the you town. get it and you get to kind of learn the town through his eyes yeah, yeah. and i kind of liked that i was like oh it, and look at this it's like uh it's like just a traditional western Yep. So that was kind yep. of interesting. But it's different to being the uh well, I mean you could almost call him a gunslinger as well the way he shoots Exactly yeah yeah but he's um <laughs> the the word chump became part of my lexicon mm. because of this movie too because you yeah know, I start, did write that down look too at yeah. the chump give him the chump <laughs> give him the chump and I like that he's I do like that they you know it's it's a lot more relevant than I think that people can give it credit for because you know it it is very blatantly talking about class and race. Mm-hmm. And this is 1992, right? And it's 2020 now, and we're still dealing with the same issues, yep. which is sickening when you think about it that way. But yeah. it's, uh, but yeah, the the reason that he's a chump is because he has a goofy looking hat on backwards, and he's a white guy. Mm-hmm. Yep, <laughs> and that's it. And like obviously, this is this is pre Steve Nash era, right? <laughs> <laughs> Would have been 92. So yeah, you're looking at um, John Stockton. Your, oh yeah, uh... and Stockton was such a dweeby-looking guy with the short shorts, and, <laughs> and I, I mean, he, as much as he, you know, is was an assist man, he it's not like you knew him for scoring a lot. No, and if exactly you're not right. scoring, that's not cool. That's not who you want to emulate. I still think Stockton. I mean, to getting a little bit off topic, but Carl Malone wouldn't have scored half as many points as he did without John Stockton. So, oh, for sure. This is coming from a Bulls fan who hated the Jazz during the nineties, so you know. Yeah. Well, I think I think most everyone was a Bulls fan in the nineties, weren't they? Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I stuck with it though, unfortunately. <laughs> well, and then I'm I'm currently uh, doing my best going back to the NCAA uh, version of it. I'm I'm doing my best to try to ignore the uh, Nebraska basketball team who is uh, currently at seven wins. Seven Ooh. and seven and a lot, a lot more than seven, and they were, uh, <laughs> and they were recently down uh, thirty-five points in a college game. Ouch! So that is not what you're looking for. They are, mm-hmm. yeah, they're seven and sixteen. <laughs> so well, Hoy- <laughs> Mr. Fred Hoiberg, the uh, former coach of the Chicago Bulls, has a long ways to go there. Well, we did better than the one we've got at the moment. Anyway, anyway, no. we're getting off topic. That's right. That is right. So let me see here. What else do I have written down about? Uh, oh, I like that. Um, anytime that they cut to the action scenes, I think that those are all smartly filmed and uh, yep. orchestrated, and you know, in in all the right ways that it should be. To where you get you get things like uh, them not getting along and and. Uh, you know, Billy knows that if he just makes Sydney mad, then that'll make him play better and that yep. kind of stuff. Uh, I think that that's really good because you see a couple of times and not just the time that he's, um, that he's throwing the, the, the game that, uh, that Sydney doesn't always shoot when he's open, right? Mm-hmm. Like he's, he's, he's more apt to, uh, make the, the dazzling pass than he is to just shoot. And yep. so Billy's on his ass several times about that. 
And so once he's mad, then he doesn't pass as much and starts actually contributing and shooting. Um, mm-hmm. I think that the thing that if I had to remember an image from this, from the movie, it is the slow motion and then regular speed slash maybe sped up just a little bit of the, uh, the spin move that Sydney makes while he's, oh. uh, while the, while it's a, uh, around the back and all that kind of stuff. Oh yeah, that's pretty. Ooh. Isn't it? And, and so it's like, <laughs> So you see it in slow motion, and then you see it it maybe a little bit sped up. And yeah. I was like, ooh, look at that. Like, holy shit. Like, that is good. And the thing that's good about it is I can't distinguish when or if at all anybody is substituting for Woody Harrelson or Wesley Snipes in this. From what I read in the um, IMDb trivia, it's pretty much always them. Mm. Um, one of the – I think the coach – that's oh, the coach. <laughs> the director said that they could have started for like a Division Three NCAA team by the end of the filming. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So, which is good because you don't want to. I mean, it, you you don't want to have to sub out your actors if it's something like that where you know you give enough lead time, people can you can choreograph stuff to get away with it. But then you know you don't want to have to have someone else step in. You want to see Woody Harrelson taking a jump shot or. Sydney going up for a layup and things like that. So it, it makes it better in filming, I reckon. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right because, you, yeah, you don't want to have it be like a, the most egregious. I think the hardest one for me, and, of course, being someone that, that gives golf lessons and that sort of thing, the toughest I feel like to emulate is a golf swing mm-hmm. because, like, I'll see things like The Legend of Bagger Vance and, and Matt Damon is terrible in that movie for that. <laughs> And I see those sorts of things and I'm like, oh God, like that's awful. But then you read the trivia for something like a major league to where you, you know, you read about Charlie Sheen was able to, you know, get his, get his miles per hour fairly close to a major league level. And, and he looks mm-hmm. fairly realistic when he's throwing and that sort of yeah. stuff, you know, that's what you want. You know, yeah. you don't want, you, you don't want someone who just looks like, you know, I'll watch, Anything to do with basketball, I'll watch. And you can tell when it's someone, even just TV shows, they'll have someone playing basketball and you just look at it and you go, that person has never picked up a basketball in their life. (laughs) You know, I've played basketball since I was eight and, you know, I'm not as good as I used to be, but I can tell when you look at someone and you go, I don't think you've ever, I I think you've barely even seen the sport, let alone picked up a basketball and (laughs) shot one before. Yeah, you're just, you're simply doing the choreography and that's it. Yeah, but then you see some people, like even, you know, and the movie we'll get to later, even watching Denzel shoot. Mm. And even though he's got a bit of a weird style. Yeah. Another over-the-head weird... style. That, that, well, I, I remember a... that being a thing, but I was like, God, yeah. that looks so weird. Well, there was a guy who played in Australia for decades, and he played in the NBA for a little while called Shane Hill. And he had this – he is famous for, in the Olympics, they were playing against Charles Barkley in the, one of the dream – I think it was Dream Team 2 or 3. And Barkley knocked him down when he took a shot, and he just turned around. He was He's not even six foot tall. And he turned around to Barkley and ch- chested up to him and didn't back down from Charles Barkley. Mm. And that, doing that, he like, he could shoot and he had this weird style where he would, he'd shoot from behind his head and kick his feet out, but he uh. was one of the best three point shooters I've ever seen. Mm. And he holds records in the NBL here in Australia for most points scored and things like that. And it was the weirdest style and it's very hard to emulate, but it's also hard to defend because yeah, he's shooting, sure. he gets that release from the, just you know, in front, just on top of his head, so it's hard to block. Oh, for sure. And um, so, like, you look at Denzel shooting, and he has that. Even though it's a bit, you know, a bit of a pull, 
it still has that smoothness to it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Woody Harrelson's got a bit of it as well. It's just, it's smooth. It still works. It looks kind of ugly, but it works. Yeah. I guess ultimately it doesn't matter as long as it goes in. If you're, oh, if you're that to that level, yeah. right? And, that, and that's kind of the same sort of deal with golf is, is, you know, sometimes people that I are, that I'm coaching or whatever, I'll give them some help and, and it's like, well, you're doing about four things wrong, but it's going where you want it to go. So let's just stick with that for now. Yeah. <laughs> Cause otherwise we're going to have to tear everything down and then build yeah. it back up. Uh, well, that's right. The last thing that I wanted to talk about was, so we see Rosie Perez. We see her on, uh, Jeopardy. We see Gloria finally get her moment, right? And I love the fact that the third player on there is a, a doctor who, ha- a, an English teacher who has a doctorate and has to <laughs> supplement his income with Jeopardy. <laughs> and I was like, holy shit, here's a nice little example of how the United States pays <laughs> teachers absolutely zero. Because <laughs> yep. my, then- wife, my wife is, uh, is transitioning into a new job to where she's not going to have to do too much, really, and she's still going to make more than I ever made as a teacher. And I was like, you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> and it so. also shows that, you know, how much that... Knowing, you know, being a, a teacher with a, a PhD still doesn't help you with something like a general knowledge quiz. <laughs> That's right. That is my, right. My wife has a PhD. Uh-huh. Yeah, I'm the one who went on a game show and won money. So <laughs> That's right. I was going to say, we, we talked about Jeopardy. You, uh, you know, you were, you would be the more experienced one when it came to the game show, uh, game show stuff. So if people haven't heard about that, briefly, uh, tell us about you and your game show experience. So I was on a show in Australia called Million Dollar Minute, um, just a quiz show, similar to Jeopardy. You don't have to um, answer with a question. It's more just a general knowledge buzzing quiz. Um, I was the carryover champ for four nights and won a large sum of money. Mm. Um, and it was possibly the most stressful thing I've ever done in my life. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. <laughs> I um, I we did. I filmed three episodes in about two and a half hours mm. on the first day and then came back the next morning to film one and walked away with the money. And the next four days I was sick as a dog. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's one of those where you're, uh, you're so tense and you're, it's almost like, you know, squeezing a muscle for that long, Yeah, you know, to where you're, and then you finally get to release the muscle and then you're just a wreck. Oh, it was the, uh, we put it down to the, the adrenaline dump of, yeah, being so fired up for two days and then all of a sudden it's over and it was, you know, I just crashed. Yeah. That's why I wonder about people like a Ken Jennings or something like that to where, you know, I wonder when they're done recording, if they're just a complete, uh, husk for a while. Well, and that was the, the things I didn't realize, you know, until I went in there was that, you know, if, if your episodes don't air, I don't know if it's the same in America, but in Australia, if your episode doesn't air on TV, you don't get anything. Oh, really? So you could win, you know, like I won $70,000. dollars mm-hmm. And, I mean, you could win, you know, you could be on one episode and win $25,000. But if they, they don't play that one episode, too bad. You don't get you don't get squat. Yeah, because you don't get that advertising money probably, right? Yeah. Wow. And so I was, I was lucky that they aired my episodes and then I think about three months later the show was cancelled. Uh, so it's oh, crazy. The um the way they did it was 
I was on four episodes and they booked it over Easter. So I was on the Thursday night. They played two of my episodes and then they had the Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, which are the, for the Easter long weekend. Mm-hmm. And then on the Tuesday following, they booked, they played my other two episodes. So, which was fine because <clears throat> it got it out of the way. But the funny part was that from Friday through to Monday, <coughs> excuse me, they had promos for the show. And on the Good Friday here in Melbourne, we have a Good Friday appeal, which is like a, a telethon. And they ring up to give money, donate money to the Royal Children's Hospital. And it's sort of a tradition that you have it on in the background if you go, if you are with your family and things like that. And every, almost every second ad break while this was on, there was a promo with my face on it. Hmm. And it was just, like, I got sick of it after a while. <laughs> <laughs> but we'd, I'd be sitting at work and we used to have TVs at work with no sound on just because, you know, you want to have something on. Mm-hmm. And that my face would come up and people would go, ah, oh, you're there again. <laughs> so it was just a, bit uh, of a running joke after a while. Well, sure. Oh, that's good. <laughs> that is a good story. All right. Well, anything else about uh, He Got Game before, or um, about White Man Can't Jump before we move on to our second film? I think, I, like, I love the movie. And the thing I forget about is the, the Stooky Brothers, the guys who are. Uh, oh, yeah. 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 That Billy borrowed money from. Like, it sort of becomes just something tacked on. And it's a very funny. Uh, the joke at the end of it is very funny. Like he, <laughs> yeah. he finally pays them off and then they just, you see him and he's, he's dead. He's got blood coming out of him and then they take him photos and it's just those guys going, Hey, thanks Billy. You know, it's good man. Well done. Thanks for letting us listen. They don't want to kill him. They just use those photos to scare other people. Into doing it. Yeah, that's right. They just want, they just want the money that they're owed and they just want the reputation to be yeah. where it should be. And, yeah. But my favorite scene in the whole movie is when they go to the two-on-two tournament and Woody Harrelson does not stop talking. Yeah. He's – I could see how – like if I was not on his team, I would want to kill him. Absolutely. But the line when he's talking – the guys who would probably get – they're going to play in the finals and he's talking to him and he's going, clang, clang, all these bricks. Are, you know, we're going to – we're going to click up all these bricks – and build a house so your mother has a place to live. And your sister too. And he's just going and constantly, and even gets to the point where Sydney goes, will you shut the fuck up? Yeah, really. <laughs> I like you it. Know, I'd love to know if how much of that was scripted and how much of that was just, he just said to Woody Harrelson, you need to just keep talking. Mm-hmm. Do not stop. No matter what happens, don't stop talking. What I think would be interesting about that is to see how much of like what sort of audition situation there was or how much they just kind of went to a location and thought, all right, these guys look like they can play. Let's put these guys in here. Uh, Here's what I want you to do and that kind of stuff. Like I think that that sort of thing is interesting to where they have this Mm. whole cast of guys. Like we get a couple of uh, like one humongous white guy and then in, in like the one white guy pairing and one of the dudes is like six foot six, maybe like he's a big dude. And uh, and so stuff like that is is kind of intriguing to me, to where it's like, well, I wonder I wonder what the uh, behind the scenes was because I looked at the the basketball players and the sort of cast list, and I didn't see really any names that I recognized. And there's a so couple of like, journeyman oh. guys in there. Um, oh, okay, I can't remember which parts they're in, but there's a couple of yeah journeyman NBA players who played you know six or seven years in the NBA, and that was it. Mm. Um, which is better than a lot of people do. Oh, but sure yeah, enough. there's no. It's only them. There's no real stars. Like you don't have 
what was there's a movie I can't remember what the movie was, but it's got, you know, one of the scenes. I think it's actually the um, the movie about um, Earl the Goat Manigoat, who was a playground legend in New York. Mm. And there's some NBA, there's some scenes in the in the playgrounds, and it's um, like Kevin Garnett and people like that are playing against him. Oh, really? So some, you know, decent names in there. Yeah. Huh. Interesting. Interesting. All right. Well, anything else about White Man Can Jump? Uh, it's possibly one of my favorite movies of all time. Yeah. It's, it's a I, lot I of fun. It. it really is a lot of fun. Like I I think yeah. it's one of those that people know of and sort of know that it's fun, but if you haven't seen it in a long time, which I hadn't, it is definitely worth uh worth revisiting. Yeah, and even if you have just a passing interest in basketball, it's just I think it's it's possibly my favorite Woody Harrelson and Wesley Snipes role just because they're having fun. You know, yeah. you can see it when they're playing and they're playing basketball and they're talking and it's I'd love to know how much, like I said, I'd love to know how much it was scripted because the trash talk is incredible and you will learn some new, you will learn some new things to say to people when you're doing, no matter what, you could be playing video games or golf or basketball and Mm -hmm. you will learn some new stuff to say to people. Oh, for sure. For (laughs) sure. Yeah. I like, (laughs) I like all of that stuff. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I think I just want to reiterate that it is so much fun seeing Wesley Snipes again. You know, Wesley yep. Snipes being the fun Wesley Snipes and not uh, being sort of what he's turned into at post jail and all that kind of stuff to where you don't, yes. I mean, you know, just, you just don't see him anymore. <laughs> so it's kind of nice seeing him in there. All right. So uh, let's go ahead and uh, move into our second film. And it is from 1998 and it is He Got Game. We out the projects, baby. Where we gonna live at, son? Central Park West somewhere? What you gonna buy your mama, son? House. Come on. A big house. It's the will of the man. It ain't the skill of the man. Don't be afraid of nobody. Take it. Take Go it. strong, baby. Like nobody's better yes. than you. You have a son named Jesus Shuttlesworth? Is your son considered the number one high school prospect in these United States? He's awesome, baby, with a capital N. Governor's made a request that your son seriously consider enrolling in his alma mater, Big State. The governor's given me his word. He'll do everything in his power to cut your time here short. The NC2A deadline is one week away. Two parole officers will be assigned to you. Yeah, I guess I better get working there, huh? Hello, son. What did I tell you about that stranger in the house? He's not a stranger. He's our father. I don't have a father. Look, I need to talk to you. You'll see me around. The man escaped just like Shawshank. Why beat around the bush? We love you. It's $10,000. I don't need that money, Coach. You can look like Buddy Hackett and drive down the street with this and have 40 girls chasing you. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> I want you to go to Big State, son. You find it in your heart to go to Big State, they may let me out on an early parole. I got that, uh... Arthritis thing. My brother's got the same arthritic condition. It's going around here in Coney Island. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's contagious. But why in the hell did you name me Jesus anyway? What type of name is that? Jesus, Jesus. It's a biblical name. No kidding. I pray that you understand why I pushed you. I was the one who put the ball in your crib. I ain't no baby no more. Dear Lord, deliver Jesus to us. People make mistakes. People veer off the path. So what? God forgives them. When will you? Never. Cool. I bet he can finally beat you. One-on-one. And this will be the most important decision in your life. Don't blow it.
And the IMDb plot synopsis for this one is another short one, and it goes like this. Jake Shuttlesworth is in prison serving time for killing his wife in a violent family feud. He is released on parole, but with one condition. He must persuade his son, genius basketball player Jesus, to sign with the governor's alma mater university big state, and Jake only has one week to do it. So a couple of things about this IMDb plot synopsis. So I, w- I don't know if I would say like genius basketball player. Genius right. isn't exactly the word I would use. Nope. And violent family feud. Like they're not playing the fucking family feud. Like it was, <laughs> it was an accidental, you know, he got, he, yeah. he it was like an accidental death basically. It's like like he, Hatfields and the McCoys. Yeah. He, he, I mean, it was like, it was, uh, he probably got manslaughter or something like that because he said he only has 15 years. Right. Yeah. And so anyway, so that, that, I mean, that's kind of parsing it out a little bit. So he got game. Tell me about, uh, tell me about you and, uh, Spike Lee's film. So the first Spike Lee film I ever saw was, uh, do the right thing uh-huh. Uh-huh. and do the right thing for me. It is in my top five movies of all time. Ooh, interesting. I think it is one of the best films I've ever seen. And I saw it, uh, late night on Australian TV at about two, you know, midnight. It was on and I put, I just sat there and watched it and you know, it's a long movie and it's, but it is just, it's, Perfect. I love it. There is so much about it I love. I mean, as much as Spike Lee's not a great actor, he is a phenomenal director. <laughs> he does like being in front of the camera, though. <laughs> yeah. And then talking about, you know, being a basketball player in the 90s, you yeah. knew who Spike Lee was. Oh, Even if you didn't know, sure. I'd never seen one of his films, you knew exactly who he was. You knew he was that crazy little guy sitting on the court, sitting courtside at the Knicks games. Well, yeah, you th- you knew the Knicks, and so you knew Spike Lee, Patrick Ewing, mm-hmm. John Starks, and that was about it. <laughs> and so, again, being a Bulls fan in the nineties, I hated the Knicks. Hated him. <laughs> oh my god! Patrick well, that's Ewing. one of the best uh, highlights ever, right? Is when is when Jordan reverses and then dunks right over Ewing. Oh, it is. That is, you know, <laughs> I would love. I could watch that on a loop. Absolutely. And then um, he, he lets him know about it right after. Oh, yeah. And that was, you know, <laughs> there's a, a Jordan video. Um, it's not Playground. It's Airtime. Mm, Airtime, sure. And it talks about the Knicks series in the 91-92 playoffs. And it is one of the one of those things where if I ever wanted, you know, a bit of motivation, I watch that because it's, you know, the it was back when the NBA, they were physical. It was Charles Oakley beating the crap out of Scottie Pippen. It was John Starks and Michael Jordan trash-talking each other. It was yeah, because it's the end of the bad boys from Detroit. Yeah, and it was before they, you know, people talk about how LeBron is the greatest player of all time. And, you know, I do agree on some levels, but then I also think I'd love to see, would have loved to have seen LeBron play in the 90s, mm-hmm. where he would go for a layup and Charles Oakley would murder him. <laughs> yeah, because you had guys like Lambeer and you guys, yeah. you know, you had all of the, uh, I mean, the thing about the 90s is you had so many teams that were... All really good. Yeah. You know, and, and you had the, the dynasties of the Pistons and the Bulls and, but also still there was, there was still the remnants of the Celtics and the Lakers and there were still teams like Portland and there were still teams that were good. Yeah. And every team had a big white guy whose whole job was to just foul. (laughs) That's right. It it was, yeah. You know, Portland had Chris Dudley and the Bulls had, Will Purdue at that time, and you look at Lambeer, who was a starter for Detroit, but and could play. Yeah, but he was a thug. Uh huh. 
And they all had them. And it was, you know, Jordan would drive the lane and sometimes he'd flick a shot over his head and other times Lambeer would smack him. Yeah, he'd wear it and, whether he made it or not. Yeah, and, you know, whereas these days you watch some of the games and you go, I don't even see where that foul was. But <laughs> so when I found out that, you know, I'd seen a Spike, a Spike Lee movie, I hunted down a few of his other ones, and then I heard that he was making a basketball movie. I thought, well, what what better person to make a basketball movie than a guy who is so passionate about the game? And he'd made Jordan commercials for Nike and things like that. And then I found out that Ray Allen, who was, I think he's only about two years into the NBA by that point. Yeah, that's right. Because, yeah, because he just, uh, he'd been traded and I think he was in his, between his first and second year. Yeah. And so, you know, Ray Allen was a, a good rookie coming through and, you know, awesome. I mean, I did read that his first choice was Kobe. And <laughs> yeah. now that would have been interesting. Kobe, because he has, but I don't know, you just don't know what it would have been. Um, but, this movie, it's, you know, we couldn't have got two more polar opposite basketball movies. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got the fun, uh, lighthearted, white man can't jump. Yeah, trash, trash talking. Yeah. Having fun, you know, mucking around. And then you've got this dark, dramatic, very serious movie. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's like I was never – playing in Australia, you, you don't get the same sort of recruitment stuff. You don't have – you know, I used to go for state tryouts and things like that, but you don't have players. Like I, one of my best friends went and played over in America, but he only played Division Three. Um, but you don't. Where we went and played, when I was talking about that tour before, and we st- we built it out and we stayed with people who were you know the local players. And one of the guys I was there, we, like he showed me this shoebox full of letters from recruiting colleges. Oh uh, yeah. And it just it blew my mind. It was something I you know we don't experience that here. Mm-hmm. Because we don't have, you know, our, our colleges are for academics. They have sports teams, but it's mostly an academic thing. It's not a an NCAA multi-million dollar business. Oh, yeah, it's, it is business first, academic yeah. second, no matter what they tell you. So, you know, it was – but seeing this, it was it sort of blew my mind a little bit. That It was, you know, this is the era when we had people like Garnett and Kobe coming straight out of high school. Yeah. So yeah. it was interesting to see – you know, Spike Lee did his research on this because it was just fascinating. And it sort of, it, it goes into a bit of blue chips as well, where sure, yeah. you know, everybody in this movie in He Got Game is trying to find out what Jesus is going to do. <laughs> yeah. They want to know, like even you know, his girlfriend and his uncle and, you know, the people you think you should be supporting his decision his, and his high school coach are trying to sway him to do things. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's that blue chips Nick Nolte trying to get Shaq and Penny and the white guy who I have no idea who he, what he, who he was or what he was doing, um, you know, and paying for them, you know, here's a new car, here's an apartment, here's this. And so, mm-hmm. like, you see that Jesus has his morals about him and he knows that all this stuff is illegal. So it's sort of a, a polar opposite to that one as well. Yeah. Yeah, this is one that uh, I want to say that this is the first real time that I saw this. Now, I knew of the movie. I knew uh, my my uh, the guy that I talked about earlier about uh, going and golfing with. He and I lived together for several years and he owned this movie. Mm-hmm. And so I had seen parts of it. And so I knew that it was obviously from seeing the cover several times. I knew that it was Denzel. And I I didn't know that it was Ray Allen specifically. Yeah. Until it it starts and they show them, you know, uh, with the dueling jumpers, basically. And I'm like, holy shit, Ray Allen's in this. 
And then I'm like, wait a minute, that's the main guy. That's that's the yeah. dude. I'm like, holy cow. Like, okay, I didn't realize that he was an actor. Um, and so I sort of knew about that, and I knew about the uh, the Rick Fox recruitment trip. <laughs> the assistant coaches. <laughs> yeah. And, I never had uh, assistant coaches like that. Yeah. And, uh, and then <laughs> – and so I knew about some of the movie, but watching it this time or watching it for really the first time, I was at first really struck by how sort of the, the Spike Lee angle at the beginning is a real broad consideration of the appeal of basketball. Because normally when I think of Spike Lee, I think very specific of New York City. Mm-hmm. And here, even though he's he's mostly still speaking about that, he does show some different... Uh, People, the very beginning where they're, uh, you know, they're shooting hoops wherever. And yep. it does give that sort of nationwide or worldwide view of what basketball can do. Right. Yeah. And so I thought that that was really something that that was uh, not what I was used to seeing from him because normally I just expect a certain thing out of a, uh, out of a Spike Lee film. And I love the idea of the high school student being, um, you know, being recruited into a college because here in Lincoln, Nebraska, it is very much a, a big deal with, uh, with, you know, with the Nebraska Cornhuskers being basically the thing that makes Lincoln, Lincoln. And, you know, every like fourth business is something football related and is something, mm-hmm. you know, and so when National Signing Day comes along, all of these people blow up all of these 17 and 18 year old kids as Twitter accounts and Instagram or whatever. And, you know, say, you know, you need to come here and then they don't. And, oh, he's a bum. And I did, we didn't want him anyway. And it's like, Jesus Christ, you know, they're really all over these kids uh, and, and the choices that they're making. And so I thought that this movie did a really good job of that to where they keep saying, this is the most important decision of your life. Mm-hmm. Right. And I really liked the way that they kept, calling back to that. I do think that uh something that I was surprised wasn't as big of a big of a thing as I thought it was going to be was the Jim Brown character. Was yeah, yeah. uh was um uh Spivey and Crudup basically. Yep. I thought that that was going to be more of a thing where either Jake was going to try to leave or he was going to get in trouble in some way uh because he kind of has like a lot of money somehow because he, he gets, <laughs> he gets out. One of the first things that he does is buy the latest Jordans, right? Oh, which, which I wanted <laughs> right there. And then, well, they do give him, they give him an envelope full of money at the start, but they don't say how much it is. That's so. right. But, and so that's why when he said it's like a hundred and whatever, I was like, Ooh, and this is 1998. And I was like, wait a minute. He doesn't even blink. He's just like, yeah, I got to have those. You know, I do he, like that line too when the the kid at the shop is putting the <laughs> shoes on. Yeah, and he he gets he t- takes his other shoe off and it's got the ankle bracelet, and yeah. he's like, oh, "I got arthritis." And he goes, "Yeah, my brother has arthritis too." <laughs> yeah, I heard it's yeah. going around. <laughs> yes, <laughs> he goes, "Yeah, it's contagious." <laughs> yeah. yeah, Coney I Island. Like it's going around in Coney Island. That's right. Yeah, I, I, that was very clever. That is good. Yeah, I like that. Um, I thought that the whole plan of how to get them of how to get Jake out of there with the um, with the food poisoning, I thought that was disgusting to watch because you see him <laughs> yelling for the guard, and but then you see that uh, you had the voiceover of Ned Beatty talking about 
basically what's going to happen without being super specific. But then you see Denzel just slopping up this food, and I'm like, oh, gross. (laughs) It just looks disgusting the way that he's eating it. Uh, (laughs) I did not like that. No, not at all. (laughs) Oh, man. Um, So what do you think? Let's talk talk about the main, uh, I guess, the main sticking point for people that are either going to go for the movie or not go for the movie. What do you think about Ray Allen as an actor in this? I think he's up and down. Uh-huh. I think there's some times when he's very, very flat and sort of monotonous away in a way. Yeah. Um, the scene I liked is when he's talking with his sister and she's saying, oh, people are saying that we're going to be rich and people are going to say, I don't have to go yeah, to school anymore. She he want grabs to school, her and goes, yep. I'll kill you myself. Yeah. And that was where he showed some passion. And I liked that it sort of, it shows that he's more like his father than he thinks he is mm-hmm. in the way he did that. But it's, I, he, the thing that I felt with him was that he came across as a kid with the weight of the, sh- the world on his shoulders. Yeah. Yeah, he does. And he, you know, he's looking after his sister. Nobody has his interests in, in heart. It's all, we want to make money off you. Yeah. And the scene I like is when he's driving with the guy, big time Willie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the car, and Willie's going, you know, you got this. We got drugs. You're gonna get drugs. People are gonna offer you this and that. People are gonna offer you girls. And it's and then he goes, and then you forget the last one is just the the people, and they all love you, Jesus. And they're doing, he's doing the, oh Jesus, I love you, Jesus. <laughs> yeah. And you know that bit is there's a bit of that where that sort of sums it up. I think that sums up the movie for me. Mm. Is that he shows everyone this is exactly what's going to happen to you. <clears throat> People aren't here for you. They're here for them. Yeah. It doesn't matter what you do. If you go to college, well, they're going to wait a few more years and then they're going to come to you. Or if you go straight to the NBA, they're coming for your money as soon as you sign on the dotted line. Mm-hmm. Well, the, the character that was the most frustrating for me to watch was Bill Nunn's character as Uncle Bubba. Uh, Toronto, Radio like, Raheem. I was like, oh my God, like how absolutely gross is this guy like he is just unabashedly out for himself oh just the way he's speaking to him about you know we looked after you now i need to wet my beak (laughs) yeah Yeah. he's like wet your beak what do you mean (laughs) yeah that's it like it's it's not a it's it it seems to me that he didn't take them in out of the goodness of his heart he saw he knew that jesus was going to be the second coming you know, pun intended. Yeah. Um, Which is weird because when, because when he brings them in, he he looks like he's maybe what, like 10 or so. Yeah. And so it's like, geez, you know, that is a really like big projection to make that in eight years, I think you're going to be really good at basketball. Yeah. It's, it's so selfish. It's not a, you know, I'm going to look out for my, for my, my sister-in-law's kids. Yeah. I'm, you know, and, or even if it was to start with, as soon as you saw that Jesus was going to be an amazing basketball player, you can see it. He's just, it ticks over it. I'm going to make some money out of this. And even mm-hmm. Jesus says to him, when I make money, you think I'm going to forget about you. Uh-huh. He says, yeah, but a man has a dream. I want the money now. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like, yeah. Well, just, oh, that, I mean, that really just is sickening. Like that's the yeah. sort of thing to where you, it's sickening because you know how real it is. And because you know, you see whether it's basketball or whether it's, you know, the kids that go straight from high school to, uh, the minor leagues in baseball or, or mm-hmm. whether it's football or whatever that don't graduate and, and just go to the NFL. It's like, you know, that there are people in their lives that are like this. 
Yeah, it's disgusting. It just it's not a it's not as big a thing here because the money in sport over here isn't you know you're not signing sixty million dollar contracts for three years yeah, know, in yeah. AFL football here. I think that over the last sort of couple of years we've had some players sign for you know one million dollars over three years because uh-huh. the money's just not in it. Whereas in America, you know, you see some of the contracts people sign and you just, it's baffling that that kind of money gets thrown around. Yeah. Well, especially from like, uh, you know, if a, if a kid goes straight from high school to the NBA, they get their signing bonus or whatever, and that's just cash that they just have. Yeah. And that is unbelievable. And then you have yeah. things like the ESPN 30 for 30 uh, broke, where yep. it's about how people just don't know how to manage their money. Yeah, and, and they there's just a, blow it. There's a podcast I listen to called Crime in Sports, and it is literally tales of people like this: mm. people who sign massive contracts when they're young, and then they get they buy houses and cars and jewelry and everything, and then they throw their money away. And because you know, there's the the cult of personality and the celebrities out there, and you know, they get given everything. Yeah. As well. Like they have the money to pay for these things, but people will say, Hey, come to my party, have some cocaine here, have mm-hmm. you know, start drinking. Mm-hmm. And it just goes through the how the downfall of these people. And it's it's you know, there are some very, very smart ones out there, but you you look at it and you go, Some of them are very few and far between. Yeah. Well one of my uh I mean and granted it's not a heavy hitting film, but one of the films that I liked about this is uh called The Program. And it's a college football uh, movie, and it deals with a lot of this sort of thing to where, you know, the, the coach has expectations, the players all have these expectations, and so they either start using drugs or they start using steroids or they start doing something that is self-destructive because they've got to have that edge or they've got to uh, escape the, the sort of reality that they're in. And I think that this movie does what the program does, except in a, a more dramatic and realistic sort of way. And we haven't even talked about yet the performance of uh, Denzel as the sort of um, as the forgotten father or the, the father that's mm. gone away. And he comes back and you are sort of on the side of Denzel because it's Denzel. Right. And you're like, yeah. oh, he's such a good guy. Like, everything will be all right. Come on, Jesus. And then you think about it. Heart. Yeah. But you think about it and you're like, what a shitty situation this is for Ray Allen. Yep. Like now he has to deal with the dad who he saw murder his mom mm-hmm. accidentally or not. He yep. has to deal with him also trying to sway his point of view. And then, you know, and spoilers abound, but to have him then choose to do what his dad wants him to do and have it not be a sure thing that Jake is going to get yeah. out. Yeah. Is, Cause he didn't sign the deadline. Yeah. He didn't sign. He didn't specifically sign the letter of intent that Jake was given. And to have it end like that, I'm like, God damn it, Spike Lee. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, because it's it, not it, a happy it, it, No, it's not a happy ending. And it, it's really hard hitting. And it, it's really effective in that way. Mm. And the, um, I, I, I like it when I think Denzel and Spike Lee work very well together. Oh, absolutely. And I, think, I, I like Denzel as an actor, but I find him to be kind of boring in a lot of movies, if that makes sense. Mm, interesting. But, but when he's with Den, or when he's with Spike Lee, you can feel the motivation. Mm. You know, you can see that he wants to be there, and there's stuff that he does as a. Like I worked as a corrections officer for about twelve months, uh-huh. and it was the worst job I've ever worked. And I won't get into that here. But there is a thing with prisoners 
people who have been inside the prison system. And you can see it when Denzel is talking to people in that he keeps his head down a lot and he's very polite. And it's sort of, that's how they act. And so Denzel has done his research on that one. Oh, like when uh, they talk to Mila Jovovich's uh, pimp. Yeah. And he and does, he goes, sweetness, what, sweetness. What are you looking at? What are yeah. you looking at? And he's like, nothing. you know. And he keeps his head down. Like, I don't want oh, any shit. trouble. Yeah, if this was prison, this guy would be shanking me right now. Right. And it's, you know, he, he does that very well. And you can just tell that he is a, a broken man. Mm-hmm. And even when he talks, you know, he doesn't, he's never aggressive towards Jesus. Uh-huh. You know, the scene when the first time they meet, they see each other after so many years and he comes into, the, Jesus comes home and Denzel's sitting there with the daughter and he turns around and goes to the daughter, what do I tell you about strangers, strangers in this house? Mm. And Denzel's just going, no, no, it's okay. You know, and he's very polite and quiet and it's very low key the way he plays it. He never says to him, no, I need you to sign this thing and I need you to do this. I'm your father. Right. Yeah. He's always very polite and talks to him like, yes, I'm, I messed up. I should be coming to you like this. Mm-hmm. And I think that was a really good, um, he, he, he instead of it being, you know, not I, if I get out, if I, you give me this, I'll get out and that's it. And that's what I want. And you need to do what I'm like, cause I'm your father. It's more, look, I just need to, how many times does he have that? Jesus, can we, can I talk to you please? Yeah, really? And like, yeah. no, I got to do this. And he leaves him and you're like, Oh God. You know, you, you do as much as you can feel bad for someone who murdered his wife. You still feel very bad for him. You do, you know? yeah. And, and even I, when you see him do it, you're, you know, I found myself justifying saying, "Well, well, he didn't. It wasn't on purpose." And then I'm like, "What am I doing?" <laughs> you know, it's it's con air. It's the con air oh, thing. Oh, absolutely, it's, yeah. It could happen to anybody. Yeah. You know, as much as he was an asshole to his kid for, you know, pushing him that hard. I always, I always get to see that frustration of, you know, I coached a lot of kids at basketball. Oh, things yeah. like that. You'd see those parents and it was like, let the kid be a kid. Come on. Um, but it's the con air thing. It's, it could happen to any of us. Yeah. You know, someone gets in your face and you push them away, like get out of my face and they could fall and smack their head on concrete and die. Uh huh. And I'm not saying, I'm not condoning it. I'm not saying that Denzel was in the right to, you know, for what happened, but it is an accidental thing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a, you know, you mentioned the Denzel with young Jesus and, oh man, that was the scene that I thought was absolute gold where he's just, he's, uh, unrelenting on that basketball court. Right. And he's just badgering him and belittling him and saying, you know, he's, he's basically trying to throw everything at him. And then when young Jesus finally has enough, he is just sort of beside himself and can't rationalize how his son is not appreciating what he's doing for him. Yep. And then I think that the most important thing about that is he he does bring it home with him. Because, of course, that's how it would actually happen in the real world. Right? Yeah. He, he brings it home with him. He starts – he gets back in the apartment and he starts talking about how that – you know, he doesn't need to get a basketball. He had a perfectly fine basketball until he threw it and blah, 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 and all that kind of stuff. And then that starts the fight and and basically ruins their relationship as well as murdering accidentally his uh, his wife and Jesus' mom. So I, I really liked that. I thought, uh, I thought the conversation where they reveal uh, Earl the Pearl with uh, – really being uh, black Jesus and being who Ray Allen's character is named after. 
instead of mm-hmm. biblical Jesus. I thought that that was a really uh, poignant scene where they're connecting and you're like, all right, this is going to work. This is going to work. And then Ray Allen pulls away at the end and you're like, God yeah. damn it. And yeah. Denzel has the ex- exact same expression as the audience does. Right. To where you're like, come on. <laughs> it's, it's heartbreaking. And yeah. you know, you can tell that Denzel wants to make amends and yeah. you know, but then I also agree like I can understand Jesus not wanting to speak to his father. His story, what happened, mm-hmm. you know, why would he want to speak to this person ever again? Yeah. And so it's just this, like, Spike Lee is very good at making realistic situations. You know, he he gets you into, you get dragged into it, and you just, he's making you feel for a guy who treats his son like shit, effectively. Yeah. You know, he was always that, like, you know, I know of, you know, my uncle and I had a very good relationship with basketball. He coached me for years, but he never pushed me like that. Mm-hmm. He would push me in games, you know, you come on, you've got to do this, rah, 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 but never to the point where I wanted to throw a basketball at him or something like that. And so it's, uh, you know, but you always saw kids like that. You know, you, you probably would have seen it in golf growing up as well where mm-hmm. and baseball and, you know, the parents who the kids just played a game and then the parents like, no, nah, come on, you got to go shoot 100 free throws now. Yeah. Well, you're going you're to run sprints. And, it's oh. interesting because it's such a tough, it, like they're, well, you know, finding where the line is between being too overbearing as a parent or as a, uh, as a coach, because some of the people who have that potential in them and just aren't working hard enough, you have to push. And yeah. then some of them, like you don't see a lot of NBA players or, you know, MLB players or whoever, that think, oh yeah, I didn't have to really get pushed at all. I just naturally did it, mm-hmm. you know. And so you've got to have someone that is willing to be that that asshole up to a point, yeah. uh, and you know, they just have to kind of be able to know where that line is. And not everybody does. And so I, I think that the, I mean, that's what Spike Lee is at his best. Not only it's the societal commentary, but but it's things like this where it's. uh how far is too far when you're trying to push someone into what they, what you know, their potential is. Yeah, exactly. So I don't know. Uh, The only, the only parts about this movie that I felt didn't quite work um, as well as, as the other is, is the agent stuff (laughs) is basically the stuff where Denzel's not in the movie for a while. Yep. And I thought that that is where it sort of lacked a little bit because when he go, when he goes and sees that agent, <laughs> yeah, he goes and sees the agent. He checks out all the cars, and the agent's really uh, smarmy and just the worst kind of a guy, right? Uh, and you get and the audience knows, and you don't real the audience doesn't realize that Jesus also knows that Lala is cheating on him. Yeah, um, and so. You see kind of before he does, you think about who Lala really is. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I didn't realize that Rosario Dawson was in this, but I was like, Jesus Christ, like Rosario Dawson for the win, because she is unbelievable in almost everything that I've seen her in, whether it's this or whether it's, you know, the Daredevil stuff or, you know, being in all of the Marvel stuff. Uh, And every time I see her, I'm like, good God, like. I did not and, uh, give her enough credit. And she's also, um, 
She's on the same level as people like Paul Rudd, where she just doesn't age. Yeah, too. she does. She does like she looks. Like this movie's twenty years old, and yeah. she looks exactly the same. Well, I mean, she was the born. She's she's like six months older than I am. <laughs> right. I hate, so, that. I hate when you see people like that. Yeah, and so You're she like, oh, come on. In uh, she will turn forty-one here in a couple of months, mm-hmm. and that is difficult to believe. Yeah, and it, she's on that level with Paul Rudd, and who's the other one I always think of? Um, oh, the guy who was in The Practice, the TV oh, show. Uh, like Dermot Dylan McDermott. Or Dil- <laughs> I was going to say, Mc- yeah. Yeah, I know yeah. I'm going to get those two names confused. <laughs> but Dylan McDermott is the same as well. Like I watched Hardware is one of my favorite movies, and I watched him in it the other day. And then you know you see him in stuff like American Horror Story, and you go, you look exactly the same. Yeah, I mean, you know, I mean that's, that's true. Yeah, thirty years. What's crazy about this to me is, so this is 1998. This is her second movie. Yeah. And she just is able to have like a calm about her that I don't normally see in actors when they are first starting out. Because like I said, so she's, she's roughly the same graduating class that I was in. So this is when she's 18 or 19 years old is Mm -hmm. when she's making this. And she just looks like she's been doing this her whole life. And, just and she looks just like, plays that treachery as well. Oh, like she's yeah. just The same way she's on the phone with him and they're talking, and she's like, oh, I need you to come and see this person. Mm-hmm. And you're like, okay, yeah, that you know, she's pushing him again. Yeah, yeah, she's a pain in the ass. And then you see that hand come out off screen and just start uh-huh. rubbing it. And you're just like, God damn it. You're like, whoa, what are you doing? Because I saw that and I was like, wait a minute, what's happening? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, was not, uh, I was not pleased. I was disappointed in old, uh, in old Rosario there. Yep. I keep wanting to call her Claire from uh, <laughs> MCU stuff. <laughs> yep. Anyway, so yeah, I thought that that was really good. I liked it. Uh, I think that one of the things that um, I was kind of curious about is obviously both of these movies have a wonderful soundtrack. Like, right? Mm-hmm. Like the actual music is really good. One of the things that I thought was strange about this one is I feel like the, the actual score is really odd for a Spike Lee movie. Like this has got a lot of really strange um, musical score choices in it. Like it's got yeah. uh, it's got like some country sort of stuff when they're mm-hmm. when they have that dueling uh, jump shot uh, scene, and they've got some just some just uh, musicality that I just didn't expect. Really, I thought that that was yeah. kind of strange. <laughs> so I, I don't know that it's good or bad, but I was really sort of because I'm used to it. I'm I'm used to it being Spike Lee. Okay, everything's gonna be. A very oh urban, very hip hop, yeah, you know that sort of vibe, yep. and and to have sort of this like, I don't know what it was exactly. It's like some, uh, it's like some country sort of, uh, oh, like old guitar, t- guitar forward sort of song, and I'm like, what the hell is this? <laughs> and even the opening yeah. credits is a is a strange musical choice. Every so. time someone picked up basketball, I just expected, you know, public enemy to come yelling at me at the screen. And yeah, it just didn't happen, really. <laughs> That's right. It didn't really happen. So yeah, these are, these are very different films. Uh, I liked both of them for, uh, for much different reasons, right? Yeah. They were, they were, uh, they were quite different in terms of the tone, in terms of what they were going for. I think White Man Can't Jump is one of those where you can just sit back, have it on, get a couple of your mama jokes. Get it, you yeah. know, watch Wesley Snipes having fun. Watch uh, yeah. Woody Harrelson, you know, doing his weird uh, jump shot, and then <laughs> and he got game. You get to see a lot. Like this is one where you have to sort of sit down and and 
dedicate two hours to. And, and it's, really, it's extremely of, watchable too. It, like, oh yeah, it very is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like most Spike Lee movies where they're they're a couple hours long, but you look at the clock and you go, "Oh, I've watched an hour and a half of this, and I have been lost in it." You know, yeah. every role is is fairly good. Everyone, you know, and there's a lot of cameos by Spike Lee, uh, and, you know, people who appear in all the Spike Lee movies. Um, but it's there's just something about it that is even Ray Allen, who is not an actor. He's mm-hmm. a phenomenal basketballer, but he's not an actor. He's still extremely watchable in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think he that he's good. I do really like that scene that you mentioned earlier, where him and Mary, his sister, played by Zelda Harris, where they have that scene of you know, just because you may have a lot of money doesn't mean that you get to just give up. Like yeah. you have to still go through what you're supposed to be doing. So I think that that's good. I, you know, I mentioned him earlier, but I thought Ned Beatty as the warden was a lot of fun because he's, uh, he kind of challenges Denzel to where he's like, well, what do you, you know, I haven't had any, uh, problems with kids these days not listening to me, not listening to the fundamentals. And Denzel has to sort of set him straight about, yeah. well, if you don't, if they don't listen to you out there, they end up with me in here. Yeah. <laughs> And that yep. kind of stuff. So I thought that that was, that was kind of clever. I, I do hear things like that to where, you know, all people want to do are, are, uh, dunk and shoot threes. And I'm like, if this is 1998, wait till you see some 2020 basketball. <laughs> Dunks and threes. <laughs> to be fair though, I, my style was always threes and layups. Oh, well, there you go. <laughs> I, I hated shooting mid range jump shots. <laughs> <laughs> There you go. All right. So yes, I I did very much like this one. Uh, is there anything else that you wanted to say about uh, he got game? I think it's like I said before. It's you know it's a motivated Denzel. It's um, lots of slimy people, and it's you know it, Ray Allen. As much as I said before, he's not an actor, but mm-hmm. he comes across as a kid with the weight of the world on his shoulders, and it's great casting to pick someone who's probably been through all that as well. Yeah, he would absolutely. Have, he would have had the recruiters out of high school. He would have had the recruiters when he was at college. So he would know how someone would feel in those situations. And to cast an, you know, an unknown actor in a way, because he's, you know, everyone knows him as a basketballer. Um, it works because he's, it's in a subtle performance in a way, you know, as much as it's probably, I don't know if it was his choice, it still works because you just feel the weight of everybody pushing him down and, you know, he even gets to the point where he starts arguing with his teammates and, mm-hmm. you know, people in his life who he should be hanging out with and having fun with, everyone becomes a pain in his ass. You know, his <laughs> uncle who's raised him wants him, to, you know, wants to wet his beak. His dad, even though his dad is a bit more, is less aggressive about it, his dad still has an ulterior motive to get him to do it. You know, his girlfriend wants him to do it and she's, you know, cheating on him. Like, it's just, it just breaks my heart to see both of them, you know, the father and son combo is just, it's heartbreaking. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And and if I think that, you know, the final straw is when Lala finally is like, you know, well, here's what I want this. And they talk about the abortion that she has and mm-hmm. about how that, you know, that's when you get to see that Jesus is not a perfect character. Yep. And you get to see him on that Ferris wheel talking about how that's going to ruin his chances to get recruited and all this. And I was like, well, that is an important little moment in there because otherwise he is this sort of perfect character and he's, yes. tr- and he's handling everything as well as he possibly could. And you get that moment and you're like, okay, well, he is fallible. <laughs> Thank you yeah. for putting that in there. Yeah. And exactly. so, yeah. So this was really, really well done. I was really uh, pleased with this one. This one, this one hit home for me. 
Uh, this one really got a, got me in the feels at times. And so I was really, uh, really pleased with this one. Yeah, it was so, good. Yes. So, uh, if you have any comments, suggestions, or movies that you'd like to hear us talk about, you can email us at plainlabelpodcast at gmail.com. You can follow the show over at Twitter. Our handle is at plainlabelpod. You can follow me over there. I'm at ericwilliams79. We also have an Instagram account for the show. Just search for plainlabelpodcast and you'll find us over there. If you wanted to help us out a little bit, you could check out our show notes or you'll find the link to our Amazon wish list. So I do want to thank Mr. Shaw once again for coming on. If people wanted to hear more from you or get in touch with you, where could they do so? Uh, always on Twitter and Instagram, uh, Andrew underscore Shaw 23. 23, obviously the reference to Michael Jordan there. <laughs> <laughs> Has been my, it was a number I wore as a junior for, I played at the same club for almost 400 games and I wore that from pretty much the, uh, second season I played. I would like so, to see how many different uh, teams didn't have a 23 on it. Yeah, right? exactly. Like I would imagine <laughs> someone had 23. Oh, of course. It was always, you know, it's the 90s. You know, you used to fight over number 23. Absolutely, yeah. Um, but, yeah, on Twitter, Instagram, um, if you wanted to pick up a copy of Cul-de-Sac, as we've talked about before, um, on the uh, when we were talking about the Mike Flanagan ones, it's yeah. uh, head over to Comixology. It's on there. Or um, I'm closed, I've closed the Etsy store for the physical copies, but if you're more a physical person than digital, please give me a yell, and I'm happy to try and organize and get one sent out to you. That's right. He's got his connections. He's got some people that may can maybe set him out from the States. You know, maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe. All right. Well, thank you for listening, and you can join us next week where Mr. Shaw and I will take a look at the films Above the Rim and Hoop Dreams. $500, baby, and you can pick my teammate. Give him the chump. You mean play basketball? Yeah, what up, you low? What's up, baby? It's kicking this in 92 for the back.